The sermon this morning is on Psalm 149. In fact, in 150 as well. So I suggest that you open up Scripture because the um, call to worship only had the first part of the psalm. And I debated not preaching on the whole psalm because it's a little bit disturbing. But I don't think that's what we do. Ignore things just because they're disturbing. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you again for the quiet early service. As we begin another year together, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to be very, very present with us. There are things that you would have us know as your people. There are things led by the Holy Spirit that you have to bring to us as individuals. And I ask, dear Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable not to the world, but to you. You are the only one we want to please. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first sentence here is, it's good to have the choir back. Well, that doesn't apply to the service, but it is good to have the choir back. Sing to the Lord a new song, the psalm begins. And my first thought is, do we have to? I love the old song. I love the familiar hymns, the familiar hymns that grab us in deep places. One of the things that I was so cherishing yesterday when we were gathered together, some of us, um, to celebrate the life of Virginia Drescher was the familiar, deep, and powerful hymns and words of God. So important is this old song to us that the church is in the process of developing a mission statement being developed that emphasizes the preservation of sacred hymns and anthems that are part of our tradition. But here's the thing. With the Holy Spirit, it's always a new song. With the Holy Spirit, you can sing a hymn that you have sung all of your life, and all of a sudden, the meaning changes. With the Holy Spirit, it becomes a new song. Sing his praise in the assembly of the saints. The psalm continues. When God is praised by the gathered believers, we offer him various understandings of worship. And we come together to create a complete mosaic in a way that we cannot worship by ourselves. And it's the blending of the voices in praise. And here's the thing. When we praise from our hearts the living God, somehow, in some mysterious way, God actually inhabits that and lives in the praise of his name. So if this is true, we need to praise. And we need to praise collectively because God lives there. And he is always with us, but he more than draws near, he enters into it in a new way. 
And the psalm says, the assembly of the saints, that sounds intimidating. We know we are not saints in the proper noun sense of the word. But New Testament saints are those who know God loves them and those who believe in God's forgiveness. That's the saint with a small s. And that's us, and I know you, and that is you. Let Israel rejoice in their maker, the people of Zion be glad in their king. That's the creation theme, maker, the one who created everything, including the capacity for us to praise God. This is a need. This is part of the way we were created, a need to praise, and we will find things to praise. We see people worshiping things all the time. Have you been listening at all to the way people are going on and on about Joan Rivers? You know, (laughs) I'm not going to judge her. But I can think of other people perhaps more worthy of praise. What keeps the creation going and ushering in new energy is praising as an act our source. So there is a dynamic that occurs when we praise God together. It's actually a recreating dynamic. Praise from the heart a new song, a new song. We, with dancing and tambourines and harp, we tend to be inhibited, hi Anthony, <laughs> in, our, in our movement and in our expression. And I think I really do, but that's kind of a Presbyterian thing. The freedom to praise is misunderstood. And some think that if you are a person who, pre, who praises God in the fullness of the Spirit, that that has something to do with super spirituality or that has something to do with just having a lot of guts to let loose. But true praise requires something else of us, and that's humility. Because getting over ourselves and our self-consciousness means setting ourselves aside. It's hard to praise God. Sometimes when we're really aware of who God is and what he's done for us, the praise is a little bit spontaneous, and it can be. But I'll be real honest with you. When people come to Christ, they can pray about needs. They can certainly pray about other people's needs. And people are pretty good about giving gratitude to God. But just all-out praise of God? It is so necessary, yet it's something that is not easily done. And it's something that is so part of the gathered believer's expression of worship. Psalm 150, which is the last psalm in the um, Psalter, and it's right after, obviously, Psalm 149 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we will be crowned with salvation actually it says crown the humble with salvation for the saints rejoice in this honor but there is a new song which is transformation 
and regeneration, a power of God too strong to ignore, and it has to do with the uncontainable affirmation from his spirit that God's love and grace are not only real, but they are for us. That is the new song, uncontainable affirmation from his spirit that God's love and grace are real and are for us. So what are these next terrible verses found in the psalm? Do we ignore them? It's six through nine. Do we say they're not in there, that they're not important? We just need to be clear about what they are. They're the old song. They're not the new song. They are the old song. And the verses, I'm just going to summarize them, say, May the praise of the Lord inflict vengeance on people, punishment, bind them, put kings in fetters, carry out sentences. This is the glory of the saints. I guess that the psalmist wasn't aware of the verse, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And the language and intent of this part of the psalm begs, begs for a more complete revelation of who God is. These passages could easily make us doubt and could easily add to confusion, but they are completely necessary in order to set the stage for understanding how radical Jesus Christ is, the new voice of Christ. The vengeance described is a way of being without God. The deep, dark, old song which says, inflict pain and grief and suffering on your enemies, the ones who don't believe the way you do. Don't, that's not the new song. That taken to its extreme conclusion is ISIS. I learned from some Christ-loving military officers in this congregation that they serve as officers in the military to keep peace. True military servants are not hungry for war. I have been told this and I believe them. This part of the psalm is not a plea for peace. But it's the oldest song, a plea for punishment for those who deny God. A song that deadens, there's no life in it. But in the continuing revelation of God, he becomes human for our sake. And what does this human being bring? Well, he's called the Prince of Peace. What does he tell us to do? Turn the other cheek. And as far as it's possible... Be at peace with everyone, the New Testament tells us. He shared with us the new song, the new way in his startling and at times iconoclastic Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. Christ preaches this and his Holy Spirit makes things new a new way to interpret truth, a new beginning in Christ, and the Holy Spirit has its fruits, and among them is peace. The Holy Spirit is the creative force. The Holy Spirit is Christ, and Christ is God. 
That is, that is why we are told in our Reformed theology that we claim and cherish, we claim the Old Testament because it tells us who we were before full revelation of God in Christ occurred. But we must interpret through the eyes of Christ, through the lens of Christ. The purpose of the Old Testament is to lead us to Christ. And part of what it means to know Jesus Christ as Lord is that he is our starting point. He is the ground of our being. He is our new song that recreates the old. And he is worthy of our praise. So I'm going to close in telling you an experience I just had when I was visiting family in Wisconsin. It was just a couple of weeks ago and I was having lunch with my parents and their friends. And their friends are pretty homogeneous. They're retired Presbyterian pastors and their wives. And I've noticed in the past that they don't want to talk about God. I don't know if they just had their fill of God or what the deal is or about Christ or their experience of him. But I found that I love these old guys and they are guys. There are no women in this group. There's pastors and their wives because they did have this earnestness for social justice in their ministries And so we're sitting there and one of the pastors who has been a pastor for over 60 years and had had a large, actually huge church in Iowa for 25 or 30 years and kind of thought he knew everything, said, I have something new to report. Something new happened. And he explained that he had been volunteering at an Alzheimer's ward. And he experienced... A miracle, he said, that if I I had experienced something like this earlier, it would have changed the direction of my ministry. He was praying with someone regularly who was at the last stages of Alzheimer's, and she was completely disconnected. And then she woke up. As clear as a bell. And began to recover like that. And what he said was, I had made medicine, what I know of it, my God. I didn't think anything new could happen, that there could be a new song here. And he was shaken up. And he said, this is a new song. And I said, well, what did you say? When this happened and you learned of it, he said, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name, the oldest hymn in the world, but sung in a brand new way that shows us that Christ can enter in at any time, in any way, in ways that floor us. Let us pray. Lord, we know when your Holy Spirit is alive in us because, very frankly, we feel alive and we feel open and we feel the necessity for casting judgment just kind of dissipates. We're asking, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be with us, among us, and in us as we seek to be your people singing your song. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.